the more they're bought into you as a leader and your story and the problem you're solving, the harder they're going to work for you and the more passion they're going to have talking to customers or prospective customers. This is Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman. And I'm Karina Owens, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Reveal. I'm more than excited for this episode because let me tell you, sometimes sparking your passion in the things you do can be hard. But you know who does it really well? Jess Schultz. She is the founder and CEO of Amplify Group, where she takes fellow founder-led startups and helps them transition while they're in their early stages. Jess is such an inspiration and shares the must-dos to get your sales team employees on board with your company's vision and story. Jess shares with us why you need to share your story in the first place, because it doesn't just impact your bottom line, it impacts your team's culture. And that is of the utmost importance in this time in this day and age. She shares with us her three core fundamentals that every sales team must have in place in order to succeed and save a ton of time. So she's helping us all work smarter, not harder. Who the hell does not want that right now? Okay, enough teasing. Let's get to the good stuff with Jess. Jessica, welcome to Reveal. How are you doing today? Doing great, thank you. Let's get right into you. You are a CEO and founder of Amplify Group, a consultancy focus on helping SaaS companies scale revenue. What has your experience been like as a first-time female founder? First-time founder, like taking the female thing out of it, it's a lot. I was said to somebody this week, like they say, we should all be like a server at a restaurant before we eat at a restaurant to like have empathy. And I feel like this is another one of those moments in my life where I'm like, God, I just have so much more empathy for everybody running a business. It's just, it's a lot, but I do love it. I would do it all over again. And as my mom says sometimes, like pick your hard, you know, working at a company's hard for different reasons, starting a company's and running a company's hard, but I love it. It is challenging just because there's so many little things you have to learn and try to stay ahead of. You know, you're just constantly trying to predict what's going to happen next and what you need to be thinking about and running scenario modeling at all time. I feel very fortunate. I'm surrounded by so many other wonderful female founders, and I've already had a couple female founders as clients. And so I feel like, I guess maybe I've had a good experience from that perspective because I just feel very supported by my network and I haven't had to go fundraise yet. So I feel like that would be a very different experience as, you know, a female founder. But um, but yeah, I really do think you need to give yourself some credit here. The statistics are there. Only 2.5 percent of startups have female founders. So you are in a very, very small percentage in the population. So congrats to you. Congrats to your continued success for sure. Jess, keep me honest here. My understanding of Amplify is that your sweet spot is taking fellow founder-led startups and helping them transition. Is that an accurate synopsis so far? Yes. Early stage companies in general, but yeah, most of the companies I work with are founder-led transition or like one or two individual contributors, but early okay. and they're building their team. Yeah. I'm glad that was the answer because this will then tee up my question perfectly. When you have founders who are still at the helm of their companies, their babies, there's a ton of passion, there's a ton of emotion, there's intimacy in this and being so inextricably tied to the company, it cuts both ways. 
So tell us a little bit about the value that you and Amplify bring to help founders perhaps, one, spot what are the pitfalls of being a founder that's still in control? And then question two is, what is it that you can do in your systems, in your processes, in your secret sauce to help overcome some of those hurdles that come with that type of founder-led mindset? So I believe so much in the initial success being founder-led. First off, I just think it's so important that the founder be in those customer conversations, able to sell the product, getting that firsthand feedback. So I think it's so important for every company to start that way. But then I feel like when you start to get closer and closer to that 1 million in revenue, that's when you need to go, okay, now it's time for me to stop being sole producer and it's time for me to start being CEO and really thinking strategically about where we take this business next. And so that to me is the inflection point of them needing to make a shift in their mindset. And I do find most CEOs are actually pretty receptive of that. They know that needs to happen. They want it to happen. They just don't quite know how to do it, like how to make that transition and how to trust their team to keep the ship moving. So I think, you know, what I think we bring to the table is we do bring that trust and we do give them that assurance and I guess like comfort. Okay, I know this is in good hands. I know that things are moving in the right direction. I feel comfortable and safe stepping away and being CEO. And I love when I watch clients we're working with, like the CEO, like I start to see them as we take things off their plate. I watch them get their genius back. And like all of a sudden they have these amazing ideas they're coming up with or very innovative thoughts or different perspectives of how we can go to market or even just like who we can strategize or like who we can partner with. I think your opinion echoes someone that we both share a mutual connection with, a Sangram, former founder of Terminus. He wrote a book called Move. And every keynote he does, he always asks everybody to raise their hand. Who do you think should own the go-to-market strategy of an organization? And you'll see people raise their hand for marketing. You'll see people raise their hand for sales. Not the CEO and founder. They own the go-to-market strategy. I love what you said about that. And clearly, it's got to be that top-down. So how do you help acknowledge and see how they can bring out the best in others, like you said, right? So one of the things I like to do with early stage companies is every founder has a story, how they came up with the company idea, how they got where they are. And so one of the first things I like to do is let's record a founder story. Let's have you tell your sales and marketing and customer success team, like the deal, you know, like we want them to, the more they're bought into you as a leader and your story and the problem you're solving, the harder they're going to work for you and the more passion they're going to have talking to customers or prospective customers and the more they can tell your story then it doesn't have to be like i work with one guy he has a really cool story he's like the seventh employee of amazon that's amazing right and like he has this cool story about how he got where he is i want every sales rep on his team to be able to articulate that to future customers he doesn't need to be on the call but we can still tell the story and we can still talk about mike So I guess that's one of the things I try to do first is just like, let's get your team to be your biggest fans um, and to be able to tell your story as well as you. And then let's really make sure your sales team understands the customer. So we do a ton of, okay, you've got 20, 30 customers, I hope by this point. Let's make sure the team really understands how do we get these customers? Why do we get these customers? 
why did they choose to work with a startup? You know, especially when it's like enterprise orgs, like why did they choose us with $5 million in the bank and whatever? There's a reason, right? So like the more they can understand that, I guess, I think the more effective they can be in their job. So those are the some of the things I guess I try to work with founders on. And I think any founder could maybe try to emphasize with their teams to help rev them up. Storytelling in sales is an effective way to build trust and is a primary way of doing business. So why should we tell the company's story in sales? And where is the data to back it up? Well, stories build connections. And a recent LinkedIn report shows that after a sales presentation, 63% of people remember a story and only 5% remember a statistic. Funny that I'm giving it to you in this way, huh? (laughs) The people you're selling to, they're people. They crave stories. Stories drive your why. They show that you're human and authentic. And stories make people like you and trust you. So with that being said, let's go hear more from Jess. So two interesting things that I'm trying to connect. Yeah, we'll see if this works. You talked about when founders need to relinquish some control of their company a lot of that has to do with trust trusting the people that they've hired are as if not more capable than they are and we connect that notion of trust to mike proverbial mike mike is the seventh employee at amazon mike has lived an awesome life right yeah he's got cool stories i want to talk to mike i want to know what it was like to be in the trenches with jeff in those early stages And I suspect that Mike has a lot of panache and cachet, so it's easy for customers to want to go talk to Mike. When you go to someone like Mike and say, Mike, you're the man, you've lived a killer life, you've got a great story, but now we need to trust that Susie, Julie, and Timmy on your team are all as capable of telling a different, albeit still compelling story. How do you coax Mike into trusting their people. But now I'm thinking about trust in an internal exec to constituent context, wondering where trust fits into your formula and how you get co-founders to relinquish it. You do have to challenge them and manage up. (laughs) So like, I mean, I even try to coach founders I work with to do that. I'm like, hey, you got to say to them, like, I can say it, but you have to say it too. You hired me. I'm a professional. I've done this before. This isn't my first rodeo. Let me be a professional. And one of my best managers ever is something he said to me, and I repeat it all the time, but he used to say, Jessica, if you're performing, I work for you. I'm just here to move things out of your way to let you run faster. If you're not performing, you work for me. Like it was so simple, but I try to tell that to reps and founders too. I'm like, look, he is questioning you right now. You need to challenge him back, he or she, and say, hey, I got this. But then you really got to got this. And as long as you're putting numbers on the board and as long as you're performing, he or she will trust you. And so you just have to like weather that storm a little bit and earn their trust. But it has to be a little bit of challenge and it has to be results. Like, and I think eventually you get there. Yeah, I think too, there's a, a there's a lot of pain with startups and early stage companies with how to institutionalize and scale teams. Every early startup I've worked I've walked into instantly. It's where do I find this piece of content? Where do I find the sales deck? Where blah, blah, blah. I could go on and on and on. I'm sure you see this uh, probably everywhere you go with your clients. So how do you advise? And is that one of like one of the first steps that you would advise some founders is to just start to centralize and make information 
available to all. Yes. <laughs> like very first thing, every rep should be able to easily pull a list of clients. Every rep should be able to easily pull up and know what's the latest one pager or what's the latest sales deck. You don't have a sales deck. That's a problem. You need to build one. So yeah, I'm like, there's some core table stake fundamentals that every business needs to have. And so we definitely work with our clients to build those beginning because I'm like, it's ultimately, if you don't stop and build those things, it's going to take you three hours to get to the finish line versus one hour. So let's just stop, <laughs> build, like you said, centralized. I'm a huge fan of knowledge management. Notion's my go-to, but any kind of knowledge management system and then like really instituting that within the culture of the company too, which is something we coach them on. I'm like, it needs to become like a natural reaction for everyone to go, okay, is that in Notion? Do we need to update Notion? Do we need to add this there? Has anyone documented this? I'm like, that needs to be a question that's just like being asked by everybody in the organization all the time so that it sticks. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And from a marketing perspective, it's something that you know, I, I try my best to to make sure that everything is easily accessible. And it's one of the first challenges I saw coming into any organization that's an, um, a startup. So yeah, centralizing it, making it accessible. It's the only way to scale and time and efficiency in today's climate more than ever. Anything you can do to maximize that is important. I would be curious to know, obviously, strategies have shifted for startup. Um, the market is changing daily. We're no longer in this grow at all costs, hyper growth mode. We're trying to shift to more of a efficient growth strategy. Uh, I would love your perspective here. What do you think companies could be doing from a more practical approach, maybe regardless of the climate? But I think because we started the conversation that way, I'd love to just zero in and see, do you have your own perspective on how companies who were flooded with cash a couple of years back and we are now in the environment where we're just every day, layoffs after layoffs. What is your perspective, Jess, on how you would advise some companies on other strategies to uh, efficiently grow and maintain? Like you just said, I feel like the way people are acting right now, like, oh, we need to be thoughtful about how we're spending money. You should be that way always. So a lot of these things, like I do agree, people just need to have a more practical approach, like regardless of the climate. But with the climate, I mean, there's a lot of things I looked at. Like one of the first things I did was like a vendor inventory, right? And I was like, okay, am I using every software that we're paying for? Could I switch to an annual billing versus a monthly and save 20%? Like just little, I mean, little stuff, right? It all adds up. Or is this duplicative? Do I really need it? Like for us, we had a couple interns, honestly, that I let go because I was like, all right, I have to preserve cash for my full-time employee. It's sad to let go of interns, but it was always known to be a short-term role anyway. So like that was the first thing to go for me. I reduced my salary, to be honest, like for the last couple of months to pay my employee. I think it's also just super important to clue your employees in on what's going on. So like I believe in leading with transparency. So I mean, I only have one full time and then just a smattering of contractors. But my first phone call when I got nervous this year was to her. And I was like, hey, I don't want to scare you, but I want to be real about what's going on here. And I'm going to take a pay cut myself. This is the other things we're going to do, but this is the targets we need to hit. This is our financial situation. And she's like, I'm so glad you told me because now I know 
And I'm thinking, what can I do to help us get our next customer? And she's like, it completely shifts my mindset. So now I'm just working toward the same goal as you versus being like blindsided. So I think, I mean, no, that's not always possible at all company sizes, you know, to do that. But I think the more transparent and the more you can bring your team in on it to problem solve as a group, right? And do that. When we look at the course corrections that a lot of large technological incumbents have taken, we don't know if these are the canaries in the coal mine for other industries such as healthcare insurance, but at least we're seeing it pervasively in tech. There is what feels to be a pretty reactionary whipsaw where, okay, if leaders such as Salesforce and Amazon and Google have all very publicly announced management decisions that were not desired but had to be instituted, if we see that take shape and then ergo we see smaller players follow in suit do you think that we'll then see them lead in the upswing when they bring people back or is this the beginning of a more sustainable pace of growth to karina's point which is rather than no holds barred hyper growth or bust are we going to do things more moderately because we find that that is more favorable long term for both the company's sustainability but then also the people that work for them what are your thoughts there I hope so. Like the positive person in me hopes that we learn from this and do things differently. I also think our country and our world has shown over and over again that we have short-term memory loss. And so at some point, we probably will forget again and this whole story will repeat itself. I don't know. That's the cynic side of me. Um, But I do think employees will remember, right? Clients will remember. We don't forget the way that our companies and our leaders treat us during times like this. I appreciate you saying that. And I think you gave really fantastic examples of how people could approach the climate differently. And you leading with transparency with your employee, you helped her understand the business better. You built trust. And when things do inevitably change, because if change is always inevitable, you just did the right thing. And uh, so I commend you for that. And I commend you for being so vulnerable to share that with us today on the pod. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Jess. We have one final question for you. If you could describe sales in one word, what one word would that be? Ooh. I mean, I'd have to go with trust, too. I know you said someone else said that, but like that really like that's a huge part of it, especially in enterprises, right? Like someone that's ultimately your decision maker selecting your software or your company. Um, That's their reputation that might be impacted, right, by your performance or lack of performance. So there has to be a large degree of trust for that person to stamp their name on it. Um, And I think that's even more so true with services businesses because then you're buying people you're not buying software so people are much more unpredictable and you have to really believe that they're gonna deliver on whatever they promised you but yeah i think trust well it is a terrific answer to wrap up the episode i can confidently say in jess we trust yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> there's the healthy dose of cringe from danny over here but no jess the founder and ceo of Amplify. Really appreciate you coming in to reveal and share your wisdom with us and our listenership. And hope to see you soon. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. This was so fun. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high performing sales teams, 
go ahead and head on over to gong.io. If you like what you heard, please give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.